Now, I may not understand all the reasoning behind God's choice to use this little nation of Israel, but but he Israel, as you often say, Jimmy, is special to God by covenant. That's right. He's just made a covenant. That's right. And, and whether I understand it or not is immaterial and irrelevant. Welcome to the Tipping Point Show. I'm Jimmy Evans. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. I've got a very special interview coming up in just a minute. But before we do that, let me just remind you that we have our Israel trip coming up uh, this year, November 29th to, through December the 8th. It's uh, Pastor Ed Young Jr. of Fellowship Church here in Grapevine, Texas. Myself, we're going to the Holy Land. We would love to have you go with us on endtimes.com. You can go there. It'll give you all the details there of how you can sign up. We're, we're filling up and this trip will fill up. So if you're wanting to go and you haven't signed up yet, go on endtimes.com and sign up. We're gonna go all through the Holy Land. We were there in December. It's just always such an incredible blessing. And it's really a blessing to be there with other believers. Uh, we'll have the, our expert tour guides. We'll have a number of buses. We'll have expert tour guides on every single bus. Uh, Pastor Ed and I will be there teaching at different sites through the Holy Land. And I can't wait to meet a lot of you. You know, I just have really two opportunities through the year to get to meet you guys. One is at our conference that's coming up uh, next September. And I'll be talking about that more next week, but also this Israel trip. I look forward to being able to shake your hand and get to know you and spend some time with you in the Holy Land. So if you're interested in going to Israel with us, endtimes.com, go on there, get more information and sign up. We'd love to have you join us there. It's a great pleasure today to have my good friend, Max Licato joining me on the show. Max is a teaching minister at Oak Hills Church in San Antonio. He isn't just a best-selling Christian author, except for the Bible. He is the best-selling Christian author of all times with 92 million of his books in print. I know most of you watching and listening right now have been blessed by Max's books and ministry, but today he's here with me to talk about the end times. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's great to be with you, Jimmy. You know, I hold you in such high esteem. I love you. And I'm honored and grateful that we have this opportunity for this conversation. Well, I, I feel the same way about you, Max, and I very much appreciate your friendship and encouragement over the years. You have a gift of being able to communicate truth in such an understandable way. And, you know, pe people love it and people love your books, love your teaching, your preaching, your ministry. But you've, you've had a journey that we've talked about um, concerning the end times. You, you, you had a certain view that we call amillennialism. Uh, and we talk about it here on endtimes.com. Uh, but you've made a progression. Is that right? You've, you've changed your view. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I'm 68 years old and... Um, for most of my life, I embraced the view of teaching that that uh, the Revelation 20 description of the millennium was symbolic, and uh, I, I I was raised uh, in an all millennial church. I attended a college uh, that uh, taught me all millennialism. Uh, I have never had a premillennial professor, premillennial pastor, uh, or even been a part of a premillennial class, uh, but little by little over the years, I, 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 I moved from, from one point of view to the other and embraced more of a literal view of, of the millennium. 
It's really important, though, that I say that I am so grateful to God for my amillennial professors, my amillennial pastors. Uh, they taught me about Jesus. They taught me to love Scripture. Uh, they uh, inspired me to dig deep into the Word and also challenged me that when I encountered a teaching that was contrary to what I had been taught, that I, I you know, let not many of you be teachers, for you will yeah. be held in higher account. And, and so be careful. And, and if, you, if you feel the Lord leading you in a direction, then you pursue that. And that's what has happened on two or three different topics in my life, one of which is in times. And so I'm really grateful to had this chance to explain that journey, uh, talk about that journey with you and your, your audience. Well, this is the first opportunity I've ever had to, to really talk to someone who made that progression. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like in so many cases, people get kind of you know stuck in their position and they're not willing to, to change like you did, which you know I have such a great respect for you just in your ministry in general, but, but being able to say, hey, I can't really support this position that I was raised with, you know, biblically. I honor my past and my tradition and the people who, you know, were there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make this progression over here. Let's let's talk about just kind of defining terms here for just a minute. Define amillennialism. What you mean when you say that? Um, amillennialists uh, look at the description of the thousand-year reign of Christ as portrayed in Revelation chapter 20 as a time in which we're living now, right. uh, that Christ is reigning now. That we are experiencing the millennium currently, that we're in that golden age right, right now. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there are a variety of reasons uh, for that. What I was taught is to is to be very careful about any literal interpretation of end times uh, teaching. And consequently, when, when Jesus speaks about the tribulation in the Olivet Discourse, or the Apostle John talks about uh, the, the uh, millennium in Revelation 20, those are symbols. Those, those are metaphors. I get that. I understand that. But one of the th reasons that I changed has to do with what I think is a, a healthier approach to end times teaching. And I think we'll talk about that here in just a second. But amillennialism leans towards symbolic, correct? You'd understand this more than anyone. And that we're in that time right now. Yeah. And uh, an amillennialist believes that the devil was bound basically at the resurrection of Christ. Yeah that we are now uh, in the reign of Christ that would be described as the millennium. That's, that's a perfect explanation of it. Premillennialism is what you now uh, espouse. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's some huge ramifications for this. Uh, mainly, uh, mainly, we want to be as biblical as possible while holding everyone in in mutual respect. Right. But we want to be as biblical as possible. You know, all all Christians agree upon the literal physical return of Jesus to earth and the bodily resurrection of the dead and the final judgment of all people. We can all find common ground right there. But apparently uh, the Holy Spirit wants us to have a, a more detailed understanding of what is yet to come and understand. And, and it's as if we've been handed an itinerary yeah. of, of what to expect. Right. 
and and that empowers the saint. You know, it helps us understand Absolutely. the problems of the present because we know what's going to happen in the future. That's exactly right. So we're going to talk about the the progression that you've made. You have a, a teaching. You have an explanation of how you defend because you can scripturally defend. Um, your position now, premillennialism. In other words, you didn't just make this jump, you know, in a in a hurry, or without reason. And these are, and I just want to say to all of our viewers, everyone watching this right now or listening, this is excellent. This is the best explanation I've ever heard of premillennialism and how you can defend this because there are people, and you know, because I love, I love what you're saying about unity, Max, and about honor, because we just don't uh, divide over eschatology. We just don't we just don't divide fellowship because this person over here is all millennial and I'm premillennial. And I know how that's you that's how you feel and that's what you've been saying. Absolutely. And so, but there are words that go back and forth. For example, I know from the amillennial camp there is the teaching that John Nelson Darby, the the rapture and uh, you know uh, the dispensational theology really didn't begin until the 18th century. And a lot, a lot of amillennials, they'll use that argument that it's a very recent teaching, but you, you're going to explain here. So let's go through, you have an acrostic, and I want you to go point by point, and we'll talk about it when you finish each point. But this, again, to all of our viewers here, this is, this is an excellent explanation of how you can defend premillennialism. Go ahead, Max. Well, I got the idea of an acrostic from our mutual friend, Mark Hitchcock. Yeah, sure. In his book, The End, which is such an astoundingly yes. wonderful book. Yes. Uh, he has a chapter in which he describes his defense of being a premillennialist, and he has an acrostic, uh, pre-mill, P-R-E-M-I-L. And I thought, now that's so clever. Uh, as I began to sense a shift in my own heart, I wanted to be able to explain this, because again, uh, many of my friends are all millennial. Uh, I'm going to have to tell uh, former uh, pastors and professors, friends, how, why I've made this change, and, and I'm happy to do so. Yeah. I'm happy to do so, but I, 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 I sometimes have trouble remembering things. I, I've watched you teach, Jimmy, and you just seem to have instant recall. I have to use every tool in the book. <laughs> And so I created this acrostic, and the acrostic is C-H-R-I-S-T. And these are the reasons that I believe that uh, it's more biblical to embrace a literal reign of Christ on earth. And again, this is essential, because if there's going to be a reign of Christ on earth, that's going to impact my view of the rapture. Right. It's going to impact my view of the tribulation. It's going to impact my view of how many judgments there are. Is right. there a Bema seat judgment and great white throne judgment, or is there just one judgment? Yeah. And so these are th these are important conversations. I was explaining it the other day like this, and I think it helped. Uh, imagine that you inherit a garden, and that garden has a beautiful fountain in it. And you have to decide if you think that fountain was supposed to be there or if you can remove it. Well, the millennium is kind of like that. You have to decide if the teaching on the millennium is supposed to be there or if you have the liberty to remove it and how, how you respond 
will dictate the way you treat the rest of the garden. Does that make sense? That is that makes total sense. And you know, and again, when you start teaching on the this acrostic here in just a minute, it's gonna make perfect sense. But when you remove the millennium from your end times theology, you've got some major scriptural problems. You do. And and this is what you're gonna talk about. So go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So C H R I S T. Thank you again for letting me talk about this. C reminds me of the phrase covenants yet unfulfilled. Uh, I believe that covenants govern uh, end times. The covenant, God has made promises, specific promises. And that uh, the place for me as I began studying end times is not so much in the prophecies, but in the covenants. That God has made some promises, and He is a covenant-keeping God, and He has to fulfill these. And so the only way that uh, th these covenants can be fulfilled is in a literal reign of Christ. Let me just give you two or three examples. Now, we could talk the whole time about just this covenant, but the earliest covenant is Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And then Adam and Eve are told to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, we know what happened. God gave this instruction to Adam and Eve to rule over and to subdue creation. And this creation is on the earth, on the earth, yeah. not in heaven. Adam was created to oversee it, but he didn't. With temptation came the rebellion and the fall and the curse. Consequently, humanity has fallen away from its intended position right. to oversee the earth. I don't know anybody who's commanding beluga whales these days. <laughs> so what does God do about this covenant? Does he just say, oh, they messed up, so I'm changing my plan? I don't think so. I think the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Uh, in our lives, we have to change horses in the middle of the stream, but God doesn't. God doesn't. And the way this covenant will be fulfilled, or one way it will be fulfilled, is a time in which we will reign with him. As 2 Timothy 2.12 says, right. we will reign with him. A fulfilled covenant demands that there be a time in which we reign with Christ That's on right. the earth and we subdue creation. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not, we don't oppress creation, but we oversee creation. That's just one example of a covenant yet unfilled. Uh, and then the other covenant that's especially important, and the, although I have about four or five here, <laughs> but the other covenant is the, is the promise uh, of God to Abraham about Israel. Uh, blessings to Abraham for his life, the blessing of many descendants for Abraham, and then most of all, the guarantee of a specific piece of land forever. Genesis 15 and verse 18, God said to your descendants, I will give this land. Now this land includes modern day Israel plus parts of Egypt and Syria and Lebanon and Iraq. This covenant has yet to be fulfilled. Yeah. It's yet to be fulfilled. Now, if God doesn't keep his promise to Israel, how do I know he'll keep his promise to me? That's right. So this is a high stakes question. Now, I may not understand all the reasoning behind God's choice to use this little nation of Israel, but, but he, Israel, as you often say, Jimmy, is special to God by covenant. That's right. 
He's just made a covenant. That's right. And and whether I understand it or not is immaterial and irrelevant. But God has made this covenant. He's a covenant keeping God. So a millennium allows for this covenant to be fulfilled. A millennium, uh, a thousand year reign in which Christ uh, reigns on the earth, in which he gifts uh, Israel with this promised property allows for that. The amillennial position says, well, that's all symbolic. God didn't really make that promise, or he did make it, and, and the people didn't fulfill it, and so God had to change his mind. I, I think millennialism, uh, premillennialism, allows me to respect the covenants of God yes. and embrace them, and that's a huge issue, because if God can't keep his covenants to, to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, how do I know he can keep his covenants to save my soul. It's, it's just so well said. So I, I want to ask you about Israel related to amillennialists. For example, you know, amillennialism, replacement theology flows out of amillennialism. Would you agree with that? Yes, sir. Yeah. And so they simply believe that the church has replaced Israel because Israel after AD 70 didn't exist until 1948. And of course, now they do exist again. How does the amillennialist view What's happening right now is, is Israel, they see it as just immaterial and just kind of a lucky thing, or do, do they think there's anything significant to it? 1948 sure changed the game, didn't it? It sure did. Well, I mean, everything changed. I, I think it would have been easier to be an amillennial, amillennialist uh, before uh, Israel was returned to their native land. Uh, that's the super sign of end times, right? I mean, Absolutely. That, that, that really, and I can I can empathize with somebody. I don't know a thousand years ago. Say, well, Israel could never have that property again. I could empathize and say, okay, so I will take another view. But now that Israel has been given that property, does that not encourage me? Does it not show me that God can do this? Yeah, God can do this. He yeah. can work miracles, and the fact that that happened should encourage me to. Uh, see that God can do even more. But yeah, I, I've, and, and, and as a minister, Jimmy, for many years, uh, had you asked me, I would have said, well, really, we are Israel. Yeah. We are Israel. Yeah. We the church. And yeah. so what happens to ethnic Israel or the nation of Israel is secondary. And, and, and that's the position I took and the position still taken by many uh, amillennialists today. Do you think that amillennialism necessarily breathes anti-Semitism? Because I know you've never been anti-Semitic, but, but there are, I heard, and let me just say, I heard a very well-known uh, leader uh, in the a Christian leader say one time that Israel is an armpit of a nation in the Middle East that means nothing. And I challenged him on that statement. And that's, that's an extreme position, but now I'm telling you, this is a very popular guy. And I challenged him on his position. And I honestly think he's changed since then. But I, I don't, do you see an, in the churches that you were raised in, the you know, Bible college you went to, the seminary, did you see, experience any Semitism there? Not a bit, yeah, not good. a bit, good. not a bit. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I could envision uh, a logical consequence of all millennialism leading to that, but I didn't experience just just the contrary. Uh, highest respect, highest appreciation uh, for 
for the Jews and for what God did through them to send our Savior, to give us a scripture, to start the church. Uh, so I didn't sense, I didn't sniff out any anti-Semitism in my teaching. Good. Uh, okay. Number two, the H. Okay. I like this one. I mean, I like them all. <laughs> uh, I, I like them all. But this was really a, a significant game changer. And that's the history of the early church. So we're working down this acrostic, covenants, history, and then we'll look at R-I-S-T. But, but the history of the early church, I was really surprised uh, to learn that for the first 300 years of church history, the leaders were premillennial. Yes. Most significant among them was Papia, uh, the Bishop of Hierapolis, a disciple of none other than the Apostle John. Wow. Man, I nearly fell out of my chair when I read this. <laughs> Because here's a, here's a student of the Apostle John who taught and promoted uh, premillennialism. If, <laughs> if the student of the inspired apostle who wrote the book of Revelation taught students or taught people to embrace the literal thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, uh, that, that pretty well seals the deal for me. And then we could add to that, I've got my list here, uh, Iranius, Tertullian, Justin Martyr, who said, I and every other Orthodox Christian feel certain that there will be a resurrection of the flesh followed by thousand years in the rebuilt, built, embellished, and enlarged city of Jerusalem, as was announced by the prophets of Ezekiel, Isaiah, and others. Wow. So the fact that the fathers of our faith embraced the promise of an earthly reign of Jesus is extremely compelling to me. Extremely compelling. And, and again, because I've been premillennial for you know a long time, there is this constant uh, statement that is made that uh, you know dispensational theology really was invented. And I do agree that you know John Nelson Darby and Schofield and others, they defined it. You know, they right. helped us understand it, but they didn't invent it. Because as you're saying, the early church fathers, for the first 300 years, all the early church fathers were premillennial. Pre uh, the, they believed in a literal millennium, and it the, the rather than uh, premillennialism being new, amillennialism. And I know it, it started about the fourth century, but still, it's the newer teaching, not premillennialism. Jimmy, can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you have a sense for what caused uh, amillennialism to begin? What the seeds of the teaching were? If for the first three hundred years the church believed in the thousand year reign? Was there a key teacher or a moment? Or, or do you have a sense for that question? Yes, it, it was uh, uh, Platonic dualism. It was one of the reasons. Plato taught that everything material was evil and everything spiritual was good. Uh, this is where docetism came from, the heresy of docetism that taught that Jesus did not come in the flesh because if he would have come in the flesh, he would have been evil. Uh, that's why the Apostle John said, what our eyes have seen and what our hands have handled. He hated the docetists. And so they believed that uh, everything in the material realm was, was evil. So this was called platonic dualism. And so one of the reasons that the, uh, the amillennial view came, became popular was when platonic dualism infiltrated the church. Uh, you know, when Constantine got saved and you know, Christianity became legal, platonic dualism infiltrated the church and they believed that Jesus could not come and rule on the earth 
because that would be evil. That mm -hmm. that would be, so the church can be here, you know, because we're we're fallen, even though we're saved. But Jesus can't do that. That's one of the reasons. I'm sure there were others, but that was one of them. Thank you for watching today. To see the rest of Max's interview, go to endtimes.com. You can become a partner for $7 a month or $77 a year. Thank you for joining us today. See you next time.